Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 57. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how when we don't worship God on his terms, we lose his presence. Hey, and I'm Todd. It's good to be here today, and I'm going to talk about the power of working together as a family on mission. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 57, here with Pastor Todd. Thanks for taking the time. Did we say we could call this the Heinz episode? Yes, yes, because there's going to be so many flavors and spices to this episode. 57 in all. It's a lot of things in your ketchup, you know? You you thought tomato and water. I don't think you need much else. There's more going on. There's a lot more going on. (laughs) It's just like Dr. Pepper. I'm like, I'm only getting cherry, you guys, so I don't know what. I don't know what you're doing over there, it's but the I'm prune not. prune juice that yeah. throws you off. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, we got a great episode for you today. Um, we're digging into a brand new series, which is always a great time to come over to Tangible Takeaways, just to kind of get a little bit of behind the scenes of what's going on with this series. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of your message this weekend, been something that you've been really prayerful and thoughtful about. Um, what has kind of been the, some of the driving factors behind this series or what's even gotten you excited about doing this series? Yeah, what to me is so great is that, you know, we're taking what has been true of High Desert Church for a long time, our purpose statement and our core values, and, and not at all addressing them as though, well, we're going to flip them on their head and I think we're going to do something different. It's like, no, we're all about that. And I am passionate for those things, even when I wasn't at HDC. Yeah. And um, so what I have been excited about with this series though, is to kind of breathe some freshness into them and to just remind us, number one, of why we're here. And then secondly, what are the, I think of, of core values like guardrails. They, they keep you moving in the right direction. They, they, you kind of bounce off them yeah. when you're working in a way that's not consistent with them and they keep you moving in the right direction. So to me, it's just been a cool opportunity to get to refresh those, reinvigorate them a little bit, and uh, just remind us of who we've said we are for so long. Yeah, it's almost like a um, like a vow renewal, right? Like you have to kind of restate what you're about to commit to it again and kind of rededicate ourselves to it. Because we forget. Yeah, if we don't keep it out in front of ourselves, we'll forget. And I think some people might have heard this kind of purpose mission statement this weekend and been like. Okay, I think I had heard that before, maybe, if I've been around HDC for a little bit. I think as we go throughout the series, these core values, I think some people might be like, man, I had no idea. Those mm-hmm. were kind of how we uphold this, you know, purpose, vision, mission thing that we've got going on. So I think that's a that's going to be a cool thing to the series to be able to see, okay, here's some other aspects to um, not just what we're about, but then how we implement that over Absolutely. the coming weeks. Um, but this was a great weekend to um, kind of reinforce for all of us what we are about. Um, and I think great for anybody, whether you've been at HTC for a long time, and um, man, we need to keep coming back to that because it's what we're about. Um, But man, if you're new to HTC, like you said this weekend, huge perk to being able to hop in on this series because you're going to get, you're going to kind of dive right in real quick. Um, And this weekend really focused a lot on this great, beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 5. And um, that's just such an interesting, what was striking to me is like it 
that passage so fits well with what we're talking about um, in kind of what we're about. But that letter is such a weird letter. Mm. Like it's, you know, a lot of people are really familiar with 1 Corinthians, but it's almost like we just dropped 2 Corinthians yeah. off the map because it's just like a super weird letter. It's maybe Paul's most personal letter outside of his letters to Timothy, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just a very personal letter. He almost seems a little insecure throughout the letter, like about how he's being perceived. And then he just drops second Corinthians five in there. And that feels like, oh, now we're like in real scripture, but a lot of it feels just very personal and relational. Mm-hmm. So kind of what's your take on that kind of just where that, the context of that passage comes from and why it makes that chapter so significant in the letter? Yeah, no, it is. It's a it's a wonderful book, but really, I would agree with you. Of any of the letters written to churches, yeah, and not to a person like Philemon or the Timothy letters or Titus, this is so intensely intimate. And I think what it's a lot—I don't know if the word insecure comes to my mind, but defensive. Mm. And it's a lot of <clears throat> man, you guys. I'm your spiritual father. He literally says that in this letter. I'm your spiritual father, and yet you treat me as though I don't have a share in this. You treat me as though I'm not dependable or trustworthy. I've only labored among you for free to try to nurture you and and help you develop in your walk with the Lord. So I think he's hurt. There's a lot of that. And he has this great point in there, right? You're our letter, you know, this letter of recommendation or this letter of of um, someone being like a let, um, validated. Yeah. I don't need to be validated. You're the validation of my ministry. So it is a, a really powerful letter all the way around. Within it, I think then that's what to me was really interesting. You know, in uh, Philippians, Paul's going to say, this was my pedigree. These were the things that were true of me as I was pursuing religion. And I just count them all as rubbish now, leftovers, garbage. I'm going after Christ. Second Corinthians has a different list. And in chapter four, this is how many times I got beat up. Mm. This is how many times I got shipwrecked. This is how many times I was stoned and left for dead. It's a different pedigree. It's saying, this is how I've been persecuted for the gospel. And I think part of the, what begins the conversation, you're questioning my love for you and my dedication to Jesus's church when this is what's happened. He's he's kind of pulling out one of the cards there and laying it down. But the other part then that I think really curves in is the beginning of chapter five. Yeah. <clears throat> that holds some of the most powerful language about the reality of heaven anywhere in scripture. And remember the other place where you see eternal life and heaven the most is 1 Corinthians 15. So to the church at Corinth, a lot of things written about what life after the grave for the Jesus followers is going to be like. But it's just this wonderful language about our our home is in heaven, this tent. Yeah. And that's probably where that line, that great song from Switchfoot, I love our these skin and bones are just a rental. That's yeah. kind of that idea. This tent is going to be exchanged. Yeah. But for one, that's going to last forever. And I think it's so filled with hope and so filled with even a great motivation. This is why I keep going, because Jesus has promised me that to come. Yeah. And so I think that's the context. The very end of that, I mentioned it briefly, but... You know, I think a lot of Christians don't understand. I didn't understand it for the longest time till interestingly, till I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's reiterated in 2 Corinthians 5 is this Bema seat judgment. Mm. The idea that I think we, we get excited that we won't stand before 
our creator at the great white throne because our names are found in a different book. Praise God. Yeah. But it's not as though the Christian's life won't be evaluated. And that's this other judgment that is talked about in these two chapters of these two books to the Corinthian Christians. And it's the idea that that it'll be evaluated based on knowing Christ. What did we do? And that's what I love in the next part we looked at, that we would exchange, we would exchange our agenda for God's. We would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. Mm. So it's Paul saying, hey, this isn't just for me. Yeah. I'm not the only one who's called to live according to a different agenda than I had for my own life. We all are. Yeah. And so that's why just the flow of thought is really powerful to me all the way from the, even the end of four, but in chapter five, all the way through to being his ambassadors. Yeah. Yeah. It's this kind of really interesting, you know, I, I love, it's a great summary that you've given of the letter. It's this very like, you're not proud of me as your spiritual father, but I'm still proud of you guys. And I, you know, count you as my reference letter. Um, but then it leads into, hey, even though you're not proud of me, like I'm not about this because of you. Mm. I'm about this because God, God's been about making me right with him. And man, I'm going to be about that. I'm going to take that on as my own ministry, but it's not just for me. It's for you guys also. Yeah. And so um, whether you're, and what's interesting is, is it's almost like Paul's sufferings are kind of one of the cornerstone things for the Corinthian church as to why they feel like he's illegitimate. Mm. Um, but he's almost advocating, I'm suffering because I'm about this mission. Yeah. It's questionable to me that you're not suffering yeah. because maybe you're not being about the mission if you're not suffering. And so I think that's an interesting kind of almost little, very clever Uno reverse card that yeah. Paul plays there on them of like, sure. okay, you think because I'm suffering, I'm illegitimate. I'd say, man, you haven't been enough about the mission because if you were, you'd probably be suffering, be suffering a little bit more. Yeah. And um, I think that even begs like, and so it gives this great plea there in chapter five for being on mission, living, living out that mission. But then I think it also, for us, gives this healthy reinforcement of like, man, I, I definitely don't have Paul's list in my life in chapter four of things to look at to be like, look what I've been about. This is how dedicated I've been to the mission. So, man, I probably line up a little bit more with the church in Corinth, and I need to lean into that mission again. And so it's just such a beneficial passage for us. And, and a great compliment to that passage was this, um, you know, I, I joked with you when you were moving into your office and you were bringing in your who cares picture that a lot of people have a life verse, but you have a life painting, <laughs> you know, like that painting goes everywhere with you. And um, it pairs so well with this topic, this passage and, and the mission. And I, I'd just love to know, like what, you know, you talked about, you kind of broke down the picture, but what's just been so compelling to you about how that picture has um, brought out um, just real clarity for you about living life on mission? Yeah. The timing of it, I think, is, again, which is weird, right? We're making a lot of a picture, like, what's the big deal? The timing of it's really interesting. I shared yesterday, I actually had gotten to a place of such great frustration. The, the senior pastor I worked under before I came to HDC was the most gifted evangelist I've ever met. Just literally hundreds of people have come to a place of recognizing their need for a savior and pray to receive Christ literally in their living rooms with Pastor Bard. And, uh, but what was so maddening to me was I'm so bad at that. Yeah. And I don't know how to do that like he does. And all those 
it had this weird effect, a high admiration for him, but just deep questioning about myself. So I'd kind of come to this place where I thought, I don't think evangelism is something I have to worry about because I'm not good at it. I'm, I get nervous and anxious about it. And there are people like Pastor Bard who are amazing. Let yeah, them go save the world. you're literally watching it. You're yeah. like, maybe for him, not for go me. Go do it. And it was at that same time I came across this picture. And I began to look at that and realize, Todd, you want a life that's safe on the dock, mm. doing your own thing. You're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. You know, you're not hurting anybody. You're not willfully rebelling against God, but you don't want to be involved. Yeah. And that's what I think was so gripping about the picture and just realizing I identify with those people on the dock, not engaged. And I, I, I want to keep that in front of me to remind myself not to be that person. Yeah. So that's, that's for me personally, why that's been so important. So then the wild thing is that was already in play before I came to HDC 20 years ago. And then I come to a church and I realize, oh, this isn't just what I shouldn't be about. It's actually, God's called me to be about these yeah. other things. Very pro, very encouragingly, right? Yeah. Not just like, oh, I shouldn't be a, a person who's not engaged. Like, no, I want to be someone who's engaged in my relational world. And I'm so glad it's not this on doors, but doing life and being intentional with the people God's placed in my life. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think is so interesting is you just, I, as I look at the picture, you know, it's got this great giant rock out in the middle of the ocean, great picture of God, dock built on the rock, right? You could get into all of the theology there of like, people probably can't get on the rock themselves. They need the dock to be there. But then you just start thinking about all these people who are having dinner, fishing, doing all these normal things there on the dock you just start to think about how much maybe what they're talking about on the dock is so similar to things that I talk about in my life about how boring things are and how mundane things are and how like, you know, just rhythmic life is and things like that. And you got people lunging off of the dock, throwing out life rings and people in boats grabbing other people. You think like, I don't even think they have time to complain, mm-hmm. you know, like, and you just look at, you look at the things that I talk about, the things that I think about, the things that are predominant in my mind. And then you compare that to the different people on the dock and then the people who are actually actively caring. And it's like, okay, I think, I think I can see where maybe my life would fit in that picture. Um, And it's very, it's very convicting because um, I don't think any of us are, um, our desire is to, um, you know, just turn our backs on people and let them burn in hell, even though that's what that picture looks like. Um, We just get caught up with life. We get caught up with things like that picture indicates so well, things that aren't sinful, things that aren't bad. They're not hurting anybody. Um, but they're not as important as the mission yeah. that's before us. And it's Maybe, not that you're never going to eat dinner again. No, exactly. And that's probably what the, the greatest contribution or value of that picture is, is perspective. Yeah. Because I think, like you said, we can just get into our daily rhythms. That's what I love about the picture. To me, it's really rooted back in that phrase, who, who are going to willingly live for him who died for them. Mm. And, and, and no longer we get to just kind of be in control of our own agenda. In coming to Christ, that was part of what we did is we laid down at his feet, not only our sin, but our ambitions. Yeah. And saying, Jesus, you get back to me how you want me to live your life, because that's what I'm living now. No longer my own, not only, you know, out of my own flesh or out of my own 
uh, different, uh, even sin issues, but even my ambitions, I'm, I'm going to change tracks. And, and I think sometimes as Christians, we can take this, if it's like, this was my track pre-Christ, and this is my track, what I believe the Bible teaches, he wants me to be like paying attention to and focus on. I think we find this middle of the road track to us. That's all about morality. Yeah. Oh, I'm just keeping my nose clean. I'm on the dock doing life, not hurting anybody, not sinning yeah. profusely, but in contrast to just what's going on. kind of kicking the can until I get to heaven. Yeah. What's in contrast around me is you could make a case that's kind of a sinful neglect. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what we would, yeah. if you, if you saw not that in real life. Commission, but maybe omission. omission. Yeah. If you saw that in real life, like not a painting, but literally people just doing their own thing on a dock while people were drowning. You'd go, what? Yeah. That's horrific that you would not be doing something to try to help. Yeah. And that's what I think is so convicting about it is, Lord, more often than not, my rhythms can reflect my own moral agenda for my life, not a missional agenda. Yeah. And that's what I have to keep pushing against is, God, I want to be intentional in my relationships because you call me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to be that evil. ambassador. It's not evil to have dinner, but man, you put it in that context, it's not a good time to have dinner. Yeah. You know, like that's a whole different way to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's it's structuring and I think this is what Paul's doing all the time in his letters, is he's trying to help these churches get their priorities right. Yeah. You know, like it's just well this thing has superseded what is most important in your life. And so you need to it's not that we're like eliminating and cutting all these things out and we're gonna go live off in the hills, you know, like that's not the goal either. But it's like, no, we just need to get the priorities in the right order and the mission, man, that comes first. Yeah. And we can't lose sight of that. Yeah. Um yeah, it's just a powerful picture. Um, so let's dig into this. You talked a little bit about how we take this not as a mission that's like for us. It's not for our um, advancement in our own life. Um, but it's, man, we're replacing our desires with God's desires. And so we're saying, okay, let me let me take what he wants for my life, what his plan is for my life. How does that change, you think, or impact the way that we interact with the mission? Because I think sometimes, um, sometimes maybe people are missional because that's what a good Christian does. And so it's like, okay, well, to fit in, you know, with the group or whatever, I'm going to go be missional. But man, it feels, it sounds very different when you say, no, this is like, God has asked me to do this. This is what God wants me to do in my life. That seems like a very different way of operating. How do you see that kind of shift in the approach to the yeah. mission? Yeah, I think it comes back to when I when I read scripture, right? I got to keep my opinions and perspectives need to be informed from scripture. And what, like you said, can even happen is just groupthink. Yeah. Oh, we're all, okay, that's fine. But what does scripture teach? And, and if this passage that we read this week is for all of us, which it seems to be, of uh, being these ambassadors, these representatives of Jesus in our in our worlds, then I have to take to heart that, and, and earlier, that those, you know, who've been redeemed would no longer live for themselves, but the one who died for them. Then I have to realize, I don't think God's calling me, number one, he's not making a suggestion. He's, he's calling me to something. But number two, the other thing that we can, I think, quickly do is go, oh, so everyone should be in vocational ministry. That's what that means. And I go, no. That's one thing I've so appreciated about HDC is when you think of this whole idea of our purpose, it's by no means an exclusive or who does this better than anyone else are our pastors. 
or our ministry director or whoever. No, everybody has eight to 15. It unleashes the church. Yeah. As we remember, we're all on mission. Mm. And it would be a, a bad thing if we all believed we should be in vocational ministry because all the in-the-marketplace jobs that we have as teachers and as um, lawyers and as uh, construction workers and as uh, people who work in the medical field, all those people, law enforcement, there's no influence in their lives if we uproot yeah. all of HDC and say we should all be in vocational ministry. It's not a call to that at all. It's a call to be intentional in what God has fit you and built you to do. So I think that's what it is, because I think the mind will quickly go, well, if I'm really going to honor and love Jesus, I better get him full-time ministry. No, that's not true at all. If I'm really going to honor Jesus, I better get intentional in the relationships he's put me in. Yeah, I better get on mission in those relationships. Like, I don't want to miss it. And I feel like it just gives me, um, you know, maybe all of those nerves that I feel with some of these people that I'm going to try to lean in and be intentional with. Like, uh, what if they think I'm a dweeb? Or what if they, you know, what if they think I'm, I'm smarmy and I'm trying to give them a sales pitch or whatever. And I'm, I'm really not like, that's not my goal. And I'm trying to be as whimsical as I can, but I just feel anxious about it. It kind of alleviates all of that for me to be like, uh, again, like Paul saying, man, I don't do this for you. I do this because man, God has asked me to do this. He's called me to do it. Like this is a mandate on my life. And so I go in with the confidence of not the confidence that it's always going to work out every time and that it's always going to be awesome. But man, I go in with the confidence that win, lose, or draw, I'm right where God wants me to be. And I would so much rather be there. Um, A great line in in a book that I was reading is that when we don't worship God according to his preferences, we don't worship because we're now projecting something else onto him. And the cost of not truly worshiping is a loss of his presence and nothing is worth that. And so I look at my life and I say, man, I want to worship according to his preferences, not according to mine. And, um, and so, man, it might be more comfortable for me to not have these conversations or whatever, not engage with the mission that he's given me, but man, that's part of my worship. That's part of what I've been saved to. And so I don't want to lose his presence in my life. That matters to me way more than, um, you know, what this person that I work with thinks about me. Um, and my hope is that I can be very whimsical about it. Sure. Winsome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, man, I'm not, that's not the highest priority. Just like Paul is saying to the Corinthians, man, you don't like me too much or you don't think too highly of me. I'm not tripping on that because who am I trying to please? I don't do it for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just, I think it adds a whole new layer of confidence, but let's get into, you know, this is our, our mission purpose statement, preparing every generation to change our world for Christ. How, you know, Interestingly enough, in the context of a family dynamic, you and I did this together. Like this was how we operated as a family, was with this lens growing up. And um, and it was the great benefit of coming to HDC when we did, that we all kind of got to grow up with this perspective. Um, what would you say in the family context, and we can kind of share here, but on like the practical note, how did we, how did we really lean in and engage mission um, in our life in a, in a practical way and kind of get intentional about it, you know, because that's, that was a multi-generational thing that we were doing too. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, mom and dad go live missionally and, you know, we'll wait at home. It's like we were doing it all together. You know, I think of great examples like, 
like Kyle um, down the street and mm-hmm. his dad and how that was such an interesting, um, you know, he's a buddy of mine that I had in kindergarten. And that was such an interesting layer of relationships as you built a relationship with his dad and mom built a relationship with his mom. And that was kind of such a, you know, family on mission kind of a moment. Yeah. Like what are some of those things that stand out, especially as you were kind of leading that household to like get us to live on mission? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One were examples like that where we would realize, you know, that's the beauty. You know, we, we finished this this way this weekend about an Oikos card. The beauty of actually identifying who's in your relational world has great merit for a ton of reasons. But one of those is in a family unit where you realize the crossover. Mm. You know, Kyle is in Jackson's Oikos at school. But as we're getting to know Kyle, his parents, Josh and Yvonne, are in in our world as well, neighbors, three doors down. And all of a sudden, we have like a, a family unit opportunity to be influential and to love them. I mean, they weren't projects. They were people yeah. we genuinely loved and showed just they showed kindness to us. We were kind to them. But in that, we could we could really be on point together and almost take it on as a team and not just be like, well, Jackson has his school, Oikos. Uh, Joanna has her neighbors and friends and dad, his work. It's like, no, we, we actually have people where we cross over. Yeah. We did that a lot with school. I think we would process how can we be intentional with that whole family, not just with, in some ways, the kids in your classes, Yeah. you know, yours and your sister's. So I think that went a long way, and I thought that was just produced some great wins. The other one was, as parents, to be able to say, you know, what we said in one of the services yesterday, everyone in my Oikos isn't someone I would choose. <laughs> There's some challenging people in my Oikos, yeah. right? And that's that's never been a part of the equation is who do I like? It's, yeah. God, who have you placed there, and who do you want me to love? And so within that, you guys always had challenging people, like you'd expect in a classroom. Hopefully you weren't the ones in yeah. other people's <laughs> life. They drive me nuts. But in that, we would talk about, well, especially elementary school, middle school, kids are often challenges because of what's going on at home. And we could have real conversations. We don't mind not even know the backstory, but let's give that the benefit of the doubt that they're acting out because there's some real challenges in a home life. And let's begin praying more thoughtfully with the goal of them not being an annoyance to you, but more how do I kind of become more loving towards them? Yeah. So just things like that, that we're trying to develop perspective. Yeah. I think that's what's so interesting is when you start with that um, piece of identifying. Now you not only know who's in your oikos, but man, as you look at it from a family unit, you know who's in your kids as well. And so when they come with a complaint about somebody in their oikos, you have the ability to reframe that missionally because you've already established, man, these are the people that God's placed in our life. And so it starts to frame for me as a kid, man, I don't I don't get the right to cut whoever I want out of my life. Like it would be far more convenient for me to cut this punk kid from my class out of my life. But I don't get to make that call because God's placed him in my life. And so now it's about, man, how do I pray for this person? How do I extend kindness to them even when they don't to me? Um, And how do I make sure that the way that I live around them is a great testimony to who Jesus is? Um, That might be with my words, but is absolutely with my actions for sure. And that begins to frame for me as 
early in my life, like a way, a different way of seeing people that's not based on their convenience to me. It's not based on um, things that I would put through a grid of what works for me, but man, it's through mission. I'm looking at people through mission now. And um, when I think that starts clicking for your kids, what happens that's so cool is like, now your kids are probably, they're probably going to hold you more ruthlessly accountable to that than you would to them. Because they're going to look at your friends and be like, why haven't we hung out with them in a while? It's like, because they're punks, you guys, you know, like, but they're going to begin just looking through life uh, a, a totally different way. And I think, man, if you look at your, if you look at your faith and you just, start to feel like, man, where is the, where's the progress or what is like, I just feel like I'm just kind of kicking the can down the road. Then it's like, yeah, it's probably cause you're missing this. Like this is a huge piece to what we've been called to. And if, um, not every second feels like a rush, but if it feels like there's no rush to your faith anymore, then it's like we've probably lost his presence because we're not worshiping on him on his terms. Like he's yeah. given us a mission. That's not, it's not our mission. It's his. And now we need to go engage that. And so I think starting with that identifying, but not just like doing it solo. I love doing it in the context of a family because now we're all keeping each other accountable to it. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a great kind of focal point of conversation in the home. Yeah, so. it's good teamwork. Yeah. Work together. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully it's been a helpful conversation for you um, as uh, you look to better live out uh, just kind of the mission that we're all on together. So let us know if you got a tangible takeaway from the message there in the comments. As always, don't forget to like the video, maybe share it with a friend. Uh, And that's all we got for this week on Tangible Takeaways. We'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways.